Hey guys, and welcome to the Abundance Alchemist podcast. I'm Caitlin Dorsey, an Abundance Alchemist, animal lover, trauma survivor to thriver, mindset expert, self-love junkie, and author. This is the place to be to grab those powerful tools, ideas, and inspiration to make lasting changes in yourself and your life. No more waiting, my friends, because it's time to show up unapologetically, radiate that confidence, and create a life you absolutely love. Time to buckle up and dive on in. Hello, my high-vibing friends. I'm so excited you're here and as always have an amazing guest to introduce today. Today, we're going to be chatting with Ian Williams. He is an educator, speaker, and business advisor. Through mindfulness, systems, thinking, and regenerative design, he empowers the growth and development of individuals and communities. As a business advisor, he fosters healthy organizational cultures through process optimization, wellness integration, and environmental restoration. He dedicates himself to humanitarian and environmental endeavors to generate systemic change for the common good. These core values are rooted in the waters and boreal forests of Minnesota, but a single mystical experience prompted his awakening to spirit. This led him to a devoted path of service, seeking justice for people and the planet. Welcome to the podcast, Ian. Thanks for the opportunity, Caitlin. Absolutely. So I'd love for you to just share a little bit about how you got to doing the work you're doing today. Yeah, I mean, it all kind of probably has roots in that that mystical experience at the age of 24. But mm. for a little bit of context, um, we rewind the clock a couple of decades. I've got a background in substance use and abuse, mm. uh, like 12 years of addiction, coming up on eight years of sobriety. Congrats. Thank you. I appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that sobriety journey really prompted, you know, a sincere digging into the soils of self, right? Mm. If I was going to get not only if I was going to get sober, but if I was also going to focus on healing in my sobriety, I really needed to embrace the emotional vulnerability that came with, you know, kind of turning towards the discomfort and the reasons that I was using in the first place. And Mm so that led to um, a long journey of personal discovery, which had a couple of different components to it. um, Part of which was kind of kicked off, you could say by that, that mystical experience. And And then as I continued to share those teachings through writing and speaking and whatever else, I realized that a lot of those lessons also applied to organizational development. Mm. So at this point in my career, I kind of have two halves to my work. One is speaking and teaching on personal spiritual development. Uh, The book is part of that. Mm -hmm. And the other half is working with organizations to develop healthy cultures so that they can uh, become more effective agents of change in the world as, you know, entities themselves. Mm. Beautiful. I love that. And thank you for sharing kind of a little bit of the journey that brought you here. I think that's so much of the work I do with a lot of my clients, obviously, I'm working as a substance abuse uh, counselor and really understanding like, why do we start using? And I think that society really operates under like that moral model, right? Of like, there's something wrong with the individual. They're making a choice to do that. Where I think a lot of it really happens in kind of what you're describing of that like multi-casual model, which is a lot about integrating the idea of, um, you know, there is some biological components and then there's also those society or sociological components in terms of like the cultures you're in and the people that you're around and the challenges that you're facing in your daily life. So I love that you're kind of bringing that full circle to not only just your life, but also companies and organizations, because it's more important than ever today, especially with how much more stress and focus is going towards careers. Yeah, I mean, from a from a substance use standpoint, it's it's a disease. It's mm-hmm. not a choice, right? Right. And I think, you know, as we as we kind of work through 
that dis-ease epistemologically, mm-hmm. uh, we need to look at the root cause. And even though we may see ourselves as individuals, we are simply a part of a larger whole. And mm-hmm. that, you know, the health of that larger whole is going to impact our own individual well-being and vice versa. So, you know, I, I really can't do any of my work without that you know, integrated systems theory type approach, because mm-hmm. the reality is, you know, we, we are natural beings made of natural law and, and uh, interdependence is one of the mainstays in the universe. Mm, I love that. Absolutely. Couldn't have said it better. So with, with kind of talking about this, I think one of the topics I'm really curious about is this idea of purpose. I think as humans, especially when we're trying to figure out kind of why we're here, what the deeper meaning is, and it's kind of this thing I feel like we're often chasing in our lives um, and feeling like we maybe sometimes don't know what that purpose is, which has us kind of searching outside. Um, So I'm curious, what do you feel like with kind of such a daunting task that you recommend the first step taking um, to kind of figure out what that deeper meaning and purpose is? I, I would say that you, you kind of hit the nail on the head in the sense that we're, we're seeking outside of ourselves. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when I use the term purpose or finding your calling or vocation or any of those things, I'm actually not referring to something to go do in the world. Mm. Um, I don't perceive it primarily, at least as something that is forward facing, outward focused. Mm -hmm. I perceive it largely as something that's inward facing and inward focused. And what I mean by that is, you know, turning toward the aspects of self that turning towards all the aspects of self, right? For me, mm-hmm. it started with the discomfort and, you know, the emotional vulnerability piece, which led to, oh, I have these certain skill sets and I'm receiving this feedback from the people around me. Maybe this is how I could show up, show up and be of service in the world. That turning inward, that process is something that leads us to purpose. And for me, it's kind of like the end. It is the point. It is the purpose itself is turning inward. Mm. Um, you know, I mean, maybe this was probably a lot naive, but I was, it was just a couple of years ago. I think I was like 32 when I realized like not everybody here on planet earth is actually trying to seek enlightenment like me. Mm. Um, and that was, you know, again, probably pretty naive to be at that point in my life. And I've not made that realization yet, but we all have that opportunity. And mm-hmm. I think in one way or another, we can all resonate with that desire for more, mm-hmm. right? Because we've all had that experience when we we get the promotion, we get the new car, we're in the new relationship, and then that novelty fades. And we find ourselves back asking some of the same questions, right? Thinking that we had found the solution, but realizing that wasn't actually it. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's just an important distinction to make, you know, and my, my ramblings here is to come back to that, that process of turning inward and how that process is the path to purpose. Um, and in terms of where to start, you know, there's a whole bunch of cliches that we could show, throw around, like, you know, there's no time better than the present and all of these things. But I think it it really just starts with curiosity. For me, it started with curiosity and sincerity. I knew that I had to get curious about my process in order to learn the things that I needed to learn in order to move thoroughly through my healing. Mm -hmm. And I needed to be sincere about it. And part of that sincerity meant sticking to it, even when it was really, really painful. Mm. 
Absolutely. Man, I love what you just said. And I think that what just hit me really hard is I had to get curious about my process. And I think that that is such a beautiful distinction too, when we're talking about going within, because it's even like in the you know, self, self-help um, books and all these different things, we still search outside to figure out how is the best way to figure out me, right? Instead of, like you said, just being curious and paying attention to how you process different things and what you're feeling and what you're experiencing. And these, you know, there's no kind of direct path to figuring out how to go inward. So I love that you said just that piece of being curious. And I, it made me think about this idea of when, um, and I don't think it's naive. I think that a lot of us have, you know, have that realization and it's a hard one to understand that not everyone is seeking enlightenment. Um, but it made, I had kind of an experience that made me think about this. And somebody had asked me, what if the purpose of being here is love? And I thought that was really powerful because it wasn't like to experience love or to give love or to have love or all these things. It was just love. And so I took it of really kind of that energy standpoint of like, if I'm doing things in love and having love and experiencing love, I'm I'm just in love. Um, and I thought that that was a really cool space to be because it kind of took, again, it helped me figure out how do I shift this to going inward rather than trying to get what society really has us focus on is those tangible things, like you said, of the novelties that fade, of the new car, the promotion, all of those things to be better and have more and more and more when the reality is if we're not going inward and seeking what's happening internal, internally, then we're not reaching kind of those things that we're wanting to, in a sense. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're not so much seeking a destination so much as we're seeking a way of being, mm. right? We're, see- we're seeking a certain experience of life. And, you know, not to, not to sound, um, at all like jaded or pessimistic but it it's not sexy to sell that right mm-hmm. like you, it's not sellable it's not marketable it's not profitable to say hey actually focus on how you are as opposed to what you think you are or should be mm-hmm. and it's also much less tangible mm-hmm. right and so it takes us down this path of you know a self-help industry which is in the multi-billion dollars here in the United States alone mm-hmm. And what we end up with is a lot of broken people trying to heal other broken people. Yeah. And giving advice when in fact, you know, the real skill, as far as I'm concerned, is is the art of listening. Not only listening to others, but also listening to that innate wisdom that lies within, that doesn't surface until we create the conditions of quiet, quiet enough to let it surface. And uh, again, that that's a process, right? And it's not like we're going to arrive at a specific destination. And then, you know, in my case, boom, enlightenment happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I've read about it that way, but that hasn't been my experience. Mm-hmm. It's also part of what led me to, you know, having done loads of talk therapy and other forms of, you know, primarily Western medicine, mental health models, mm-hmm. uh, Eastern spiritual philosophy and practices, right? Because there are sciences like yoga, qigong, tai chi, meditation, martial arts, the list goes on and on, that have really been refined over thousands of years to cultivate that state of existence that we're Mm -hmm. seeking. And that was, you know, those mindfulness-based practices, I don't prefer to call them that because I have a bone to pick with the term mindfulness itself, but (laughs) those energy arts practices Mm -hmm. were really something 
you know, in the beginning, they gave me the tools that I needed in order to just recognize what was happening in my body. Mm-hmm. Eventually, as that practice, those practices matured, it gave me the tools to not only decipher it, but to be in relationship with it in a healthy way, right? Not reactive, mm-hmm. but rather responsive. Mm-hmm. I love that. And I, I appreciate you saying that, you know, I think that that's one of the main reasons that I created this kind of platform with this podcast is because um, I kind of found it the opposite way, right? I went to more the Eastern medicine and felt like I needed some bit more of the tangible piece that I felt like I was missing. So I went more to the Western side. Um, but I think they, they don't, they need to coexist, right? There's not one or the other. And I think that's exactly what we're talking about. If you have to bring all these different pieces, like you were talking about earlier of how we function and all these different aspects of ourselves into play rather than trying to fix or heal in a broken space, um, but rather just be with ourselves. And I think that's such a beautiful distinction um, and exactly kind of why I think this work and having these conversations is so incredibly important. Yeah, there's there's real sustenance to these conversations. Mm-hmm. And and at the same time, you know, if we jump back a, a chapter in the conversation, ultimately what it boils down to is self-accountability and for lack of a better term, behavior modification, mm-hmm. right? Which could also mean yep. thought modification, emotional modification. And mm-hmm. and so pursuing the knowledge through external means can be helpful. I don't mean mm-hmm. to paint with too broad of a brush and say, you know, it's not useful at all. Just sit in right. silence by myself. Um, but rather take all of that stimuli with a grain of salt and then be intentional about your uh, reflection process, if you want to call it that, in terms of how do I take this little nugget and adapt it so that it fits my own puzzle, right? Mm-hmm. How do I take this seed and then plant it in my own internal landscape in a way that it germinates the way that I need it to because there's this recognition that other people are just sharing their stories, right? You and I are here just sharing our stories and Mm -hmm. our truths, but it doesn't really take a genius to recognize that our truth isn't going to be a truth for everybody. Right. And that translation process is really, I think, pretty key and critical. Absolutely. You know, I think that's, a pretty regular conversation I have as a counselor with a lot of clients is I kind of, I've had, you know, quite a few clients come and they'll be like, all right, tell me how to do this. How did, you know, how did this work for other people? Tell me what works. And I have that conversation a lot of, you know, there's certain tangible things, right. That you can become, we can talk about, you know, behavior modification or, you know, looking at restructuring thoughts and kind of these different pieces that yes, are tangible, but at the same time, you have to figure out how you're feeling about things that are currently happening and in your life. And there's no right way to fix that, right? Like I don't have the answers for you because you're the expert on you, not me. So I love that you're really talking about, and I, I know I've kind of said this, but just highlighting the fact that it's so individualized because we are. And I think that, you know, the Western medicine from what I've seen is a lot of a lot of philosophies are shifting that way as far as counseling, where it is more like the humanistic approach, the person-centered approach, where we're kind of, we're starting to catch up with the times a little bit more, um, but still having that structure within that space is so incredibly important, which is kind of what you're talking about of really figuring out how to understand where to begin and to not just sit there with, you know, silence and be aimless, but rather understand what do I do with the silence and how do I start to begin embracing that. 
Yeah. And to, to have that container, to understand the structure of the container, right? Mm -hmm. The body, the mind, the emotions, the energies is essential, has been essential in my own experience of well-being. Mm -hmm. At the same time, it's kind of like your ABCs and your one, two, threes, just knowing your numbers doesn't mean that you know how to do arithmetic. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just because you know, the alphabet doesn't know that you know how to put those letters together to create words and sentences and paragraphs, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, if I could try and drop down a layer in this conversation, as we're kind of circling this concept of purpose, Mm -hmm. I think one thing that's important to call out is that with big existential questions like this, for me at least, and and in what I observe, oftentimes there's there's a healthy amount of fear in terms of what mm-hmm. if I get it wrong? Absolutely. What if I ask these questions and I come to certain conclusions or hypotheses and I go test those out and I'm wrong? Mm-hmm. And that manifests as oftentimes a lack of willingness to try or a lack mm-hmm. of uh, stick-to-itness. And I think that it's really important to acknowledge that in this process because having the opportunity to see a path forward, create a hypothesis about well-being and then go test it um, or have a hypothesis about purpose and then go test it, right? I've got this skills or these skills or this idea and I want to go share it with the world and, and see what feedback I get sometimes we can shy away from that because of the fear of failure or the fear of the Mm -hmm. unknown or or even the fear of success. Mm -hmm. And knowing that had I known that, you know, back in what I would consider the beginning of my healing journey um, in this lifetime, there's, I may have done things differently, right? I may have been a little less calculated um, and a little bit more courageous and there's a sense of empowerment in kind of recognizing that fear and looking at it in the face and saying, I'm going to do it anyway, because as we cultivate that inner resilience, however, we cultivate that inner resilience, right? Whether it's Western or Eastern philosophies or, you know, making it up on our own, it flexes a muscle that we need in order to really go actualize on purpose outwardly, right? So Mm -hmm. to maybe bring this part of the conversation full circle, like when I use that term purpose, I'm often not talking about something outward. I'm rather talking about an inward journey. Mm -hmm. I think it's important to call out that's also part of my foundational like theory of change, right? Like if we want to see the positive change that we hope to see in the world, we actually need to do our own internal work so that we can become effective agents of making that change. Right? Mm-hmm. It's kind of that cliche that's often attributed to Gandhi, but that's a scary process for a lot of people because mm-hmm. it requires embracing the unknown. And if we can, you know, not only de-risk that, but also demystify that, I think that's, that's important. So I think it's another reason why these, these types of conversations are important and useful. Absolutely. I, uh- I'm so happy you brought that up because as I'm sitting here thinking, I literally had this conversation with a family member of mine today. They were 
not happy with their job. They really want to do something else. And that's exactly what they said. They said, it's scary because I don't know what that's going to look like. And that is a really valid fear, right? Even if we're not even talking about the this kind of um, existential idea of purpose, right? But we're just talking about it on a really personal level of what we all understand, right? Is people have like mouths to feed and they need these careers and need money and tangible things. There is this big fear of the unknown. So I really appreciate that you brought up that that is a really big challenge to face. And it's, we also do have to keep doing the work and that's scary too. I think that was one of the things that, um, to be honest, and I think a lot, and I'll, I'll be broad and, and speak in a generalization, but um, I think that a lot of counselors specifically don't understand or don't think about how much self-work you're going to have to do when you go into the field of helping others, right? And not just counselors, like anybody that's in the field of helping other people, which I think many, many of us are, Um it's incredible to see. And that's why a lot of times, you know, we talk about having other helpers and, you know, counselors having counselors and counselors having, you know, and humans having mentors and these different things, because there is so much of the unknown. And absolutely, I can't do the work that I do if I don't have somebody else supporting me and I'm not working on myself to do the change and be the change, like you're saying. So I think those are such valuable points when we're talking about the idea of purpose. Absolutely. Yeah, and to to recognize that, you know, you said earlier, there was a phrase in there, like, we have mouths to feed. Mm-hmm. Though you may not have been directly calling it out, I think it's also really important that we call out the equity component of this conversation. Absolutely. Which is, you know, if you're struggling to keep food on the table, keep the lights on, etc., asking these types of existential questions is like, really unrealistic in many Mm -hmm. instances Mm -hmm. um at the same time regardless of our life circumstances we have the ability to ask them right and so that's one of the things that i find really beautiful about the spiritual path is like Mm -hmm. it's a matter of choice but there's a very real uh socioeconomic component to this there's a Mm -hmm. very real equity component to this conversation and i think it's really important that we at least call that out Mm-hmm. Um, certainly for me as someone who's white presenting and male presenting. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that I that that was kind of floating around for me as you were talking there was again this this law of interdependence, right? And like counselors needing counselors and the idea of community in general. Mm-hmm. That was something that I actually didn't learn from other people. Mm-hmm. That was a lesson that I learned from nature because spending time in nature was one of the most and still is one of the most integral components of my healing. Mm. And it wasn't until I just kind of got lost in the woods, you know, for hours on end and could get really quiet that I learned that lesson, not only of interdependence, but like inclusion and inclusivity, feeling Mm. like here I am lost in the woods and I'm feeling accepted by this landscape. I'm feeling included by it. That was something that, you know, when I was using substances, I didn't feel in my life because Mm -hmm. I wasn't even able to feel inclusion with myself. Right. And then again, recognizing that law of interdependence, right? So it's the beauty and the paradoxical truth of the yin yang symbol. This Mm -hmm. is not just an inward journey. It's also not just an outward journey. We will continuously be in relationship with one another, with the landscapes around us, as well as with ourselves. Uh, and having that holistic understanding 
might make the process of healing or purpose or whatever we want to call it a little bit more complex. At the same time, if that bit of awareness isn't in our equation of healing or purpose, then we're really missing the point because we're not taking into context. Well, exactly that. We're not taking in context, right? Where are we within relationship to our healing? Where are we within relationship to others, uh, the natural environment, you know, the spiritual landscape, et cetera. And so <clears throat> just a couple of things that as you were talking rang true for me, and I feel like needed to at least be called out. One is that equity component. Mm -hmm. And then two is this, this notion and the relationship between inclusivity and interdependence. Yes, absolutely. I think I'm sitting here thinking about that too, of kind of when I really learned the the idea of inclusion and feeling fully accepted. And it's interesting because I think about community a lot, right? I mean, we we talk about community a lot. It's a basic human need to have connection. But I think you're right. We put it so much on other humans. And yes, we are interconnected like we're talking about. But when I really learned that, to be honest, it was when I, it was with my horse. Um, like years ago, I remember just feeling like I didn't belong anywhere else. And I would go and sit in the stall with my horse and I would just talk to him and cry and just be in the presence because it was one place that I felt that same thing, the idea of full acceptance and inclusivity. And I felt like I could just be, be me. So I think I love that you brought that up of, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to just be with other people in your life, can, lives that can also be really nature or animals or, you know, any space that you're really feeling like you can understand that piece and identify that piece. I, um, I haven't thought about that. So I think, you know, that's a, that's a, that's a really big kind of wow moment for me right now. <laughs> I, uh, you know, this may come off as, crude, not in relationship to your statement, but I really feel like, you know, one of the, one of the lines in the book um, that I released earlier this year is something to the effect of all the solutions that you seek begin with sitting still. Mm. And it's not this idea that, you know, we need to do nothing. Mm -hmm. Rather, it's trying to guide or point the reader towards the importance of silence. Mm -hmm. And when we really take the time to study self, or society, we can see, at least particularly here in the West, there's so much compulsive energy, mm. neurotic energy that is driving our lives, that is driving our decisions. And we might think we're being conscious, but we're really not. Right. It's, it's a lot of unconscious drives. And I think that's, again, one of the reasons why I was drawn to Eastern philosophy, right? To, mm -hmm. to build the consciousness component. At the same time, there's so much to learn of just shutting up, right? Like just <laughs> being in silence. Mm -hmm. And for me, you know, like for you with your horse or for me, you know, being lost in the woods, like you, you just, you recognize the world is communicating around us. Like you don't mm -hmm. understand necessarily what the birds are saying to one another, but they're talking. Absolutely. Right? What the squirrels are saying to one another, but they're talking. And, you know, I think it, it kind of goes back to, how we see and perceive the world, which is largely dependent upon um, language for us, right? How we think, because we think in words oftentimes. Um, and 
language falls short in many ways in terms of really being able to perceive truth. And so, I, you know, again, maybe it's a little crude, but like just more silence. I just feel like we need, we all need more silence because that mm-hmm. has real physiological effects on, you know, the nervous system, mm-hmm. but it also has, um, it opens up a really profound space for us to perceive deeper insight. I could not agree more. I think, you know, like I said earlier, I started kind of my journey a little bit more on the kind of Eastern philosophy side. And part of that was animal communication. And I remember getting really into that. And so many people around me being like, you're crazy. You've lost it. Like you can't communicate with animals. And I always just sat there and thought, how ignorant to think that we aren't communicating. I was like, you're right. It's not about the language. I'm not saying that I'm sitting there talking, you know, in English and under, you know, having that exact communication, but you feel, you can see you're communicating. They, you know, and so I think, I just love that you said that, that it's not, there's so many other ways and we know, right? Like there's that nonverbal, but yet we still kind of put it just from human to human. Um, So I, I think that I love that you said that. And I think you're right about the silence, right? There's so much that you learn from silence, even just talking about the nonverbal communication. I mean, you don't even have to say anything to another human, but if you're sitting in silence, you already learn so much about them. You already can feel and see, and you allow yourself to understand in a very different way than we're used to. Absolutely. I mean, you probably know it better than I do, but isn't it something like you know, 90% of communication is nonverbal. Mm-hmm. It's nonverbal. Yep. Yeah, it is. And it's just a different language, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the language of energy. Everybody mm-hmm. knows, everybody's experienced it before, whether they've consciously registered it or not. Right. right. The notion of like reading body language or just feeling like something's a little bit off, like a loved one. And you're like, hey, they're not quite themselves today. They didn't say anything, but right. you're you're speaking the language of energetics, right? Or you're speaking the language of frequency. And you know, if it all sounds a little bit too woo, that's totally fine. But at the same time, it's part of what I love about where we are right now in the field of Western science is that a lot of the science is starting to bear out these Eastern philosophy and spiritual truths, right? And so um, the frequency is very, very real. And Mm -hmm. I think we're, you know, when we kind of exist within the echo chambers of our head um, and not even expanding to the echo chamber of the body, right? Because the body is really just an antenna that's receiving these signals. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, for people that have pets or, you know, at home, it's like, you don't need to, there's no verbal communication, like, hey, you're a part of the family. It's something that's felt. It's something right. that's known. And that transcends language. And that transcends um, so much of what we would choose to define as knowledge right? Mm-hmm. Because it really moves beyond knowledge and into a space of intelligence. And, you know, oftentimes we're not giving animals enough credit. We're certainly not giving plants enough credit. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a sentient planet that, planet that we're living on. And, you know, it's perhaps a matter of opinion, but like with the climate change stuff that's unfolding at a pretty rapid pace and the way like the earth is speaking back to us mm-hmm. unquestionably, right? With the heat waves and the extreme weather events. And it's communication. It's just mm-hmm. a matter of whether we're aware of that communication or not. Right. Absolutely. And it's also a question of if you're even willing to listen, <laughs> right? If we're even willing to understand like that 
animals and the earth and these plants are able to communicate. It's kind of getting away from this idea of that we know everything because we do think we're the smartest beings. And again, personal opinion, but I'm not quite sure if that's the case or we're just sometimes, right? We're not all seeking enlightenment. So I think that that is such a powerful thing to look at it. And I I do want to say too, I think, you know, as I'm sitting here thinking about this stuff and kind of going back to a little bit of part of the conversation we were having earlier, one of those fears, I think when we were talking about like the unknown or the fear of judgment, like I just shared of like when I was like, oh, animal communication and got so much judgment um, is also that idea of imposter syndrome, right? Of like, who am I to say this? I'm not an expert. And I think that we've kind of showed that a lot of that can go away when you're really seeking to understand your own personal process and not getting stuck in the fear of what everyone else is thinking. Yeah. I mean, you said it earlier, right? Something to the effect of like, we become our own experts, Mm -hmm. you know, we, when we can awaken the teacher within, which is, you know, simply a, uh, maybe a poetic way of saying like, when we can become conscious of that, greater awareness that exists within all of us. We learn very quickly that other people cannot be the experts on us as an individual. Mm-hmm. Only we can fill that role. And we may not, you know, I think this this brings us back to that self-accountability behavior modification piece. Like that's a truth. And another truth is that we have a responsibility to become our own experts mm-hmm. and moving through the world unconsciously being driven by these unconscious urges, compulsive and neurotic energy. We're really not taking responsibility for our well-being. Mm-hmm. And if that's the case, then how can we look out into the world and say, well, it's not the way it should be. Life's not treating me the way that I want it to. It's like, well, if we're not doing the fundamental things that comprise the the foundational building blocks of our own well-being as a physical body and an emotional body and a mental body and an energetic body how can we expect things around us or our life quote unquote to go the way that we want it to mm-hmm. uh, it's a really you know maybe it's again maybe it's like we're just kind of waxing poetic here and it's um a bit too intangible or philosophical but at the same time the real truth, you know, to maybe bring this conversation full circle, like what we're really seeking is those subtleties Mm. and expecting that it's going to come through the Instagram feed or the Netflix binge watching (laughs) or the next meal that's laden with sugar or whatever it is. Like we've been down that road before. Right. And we've been down that road societally as a species. And I think, you know, one of the things, um, maybe I don't think maybe it's more of a feeling one of the things that the earth is kind of asking of us is like, wake up, change course, right? Mm -hmm. Do your behavior modification as a species, because as far as I can tell, and as far as far as the science says to me, like we're heading towards the edge of the cliff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oof. And how powerful I think I'm such a firm believer in our, the internal creates our external and we have it so backwards. And I think you just highlighted that so beautifully. And I know we're getting tight on time, but I do want to say I have absolutely loved this conversation as I 
I'll be bold and say it's one of my absolute favorites I've had on the podcast. So I am so grateful for you coming on and sharing with us, Ian. Um, And for our listeners, I'm going to put all of Ian's information in the episode notes so that you can check out his new book that he just released um, earlier this year and also get in contact with him. If you have anything that came up in the podcast that you want to talk with him or about, or you're interested in kind of chatting with him about any of his services, please reach out to him. And again, thank you for spending your time here. I know your time is valuable just as Ian's and I's are. Um, And thank you again, Ian. Absolutely. Thank you for the opportunity for holding the space and um, staying sticky to your own Hmm. purpose of uh, having conversations like these and in hopes of supporting others. Thank you. Right. Thank you for hanging out with me on the Abundance Alchemist podcast. Don't forget to head over and grab your free self-love activation meditation at theabundancealchemist.com and hit subscribe here so you don't miss a thing. Until next time, sending you so much love.